On this episode of Mode Push, we get you ready for the Circuit of the Americas, the America Grand Prix, getting ready for that one to see if Red Bull can wrap up the Constructors title along with that World Drivers Championship that they also have already this season. Are they going to get a slap on the wrist or will they really be handed down something big from the FIA for their cost cap breach? All of that and much more. Plus, Dan Jimenez, our engineer in the building, will break down what has made that Red Bull suspension so amazing this year to be able to beat all the other teams. It's all right now on Mode Push. Radio check. Loud and clear. KSL Sports and KSL Podcast present Mode Push, an American view of F1, starting now. Don't stop. He's looking cut. Look his Honestly. I've gutted. I've absolutely gutted. I enjoyed this so much. Thank you. Thank you. All right, everybody, welcome on in. It's another edition of Mode Push, an American view of F1. Thanks for joining us. KSL Sports, KSL Podcast Production, Alex Curie here. Dan Jimenez, my uh, faithful co-host on the uh, Mode Push podcast, is always joining me here uh, on the horn. And so always glad to have Dan here with us. He's our uh, engineer in the building. We uh, He contracts with us to uh, talk to us about all these things, uh, all of the smart sides of F1. Dan tackles. I'm just here to uh, complain about everything. That's kind of what my role is. It's just like, oh, what's the deal with this? It's an important role, though. <laughs> I know, especially right now. I feel Needed. like I just want this is my this is my daily reminder to everybody that uh, Dan Ricardo is the only driver to win a, a race for McLaren in the last decade. Just a quick reminder for everybody <laughs> out there that this is the world that we live in. Uh, give us an update, Dan, on some of the – if anything has shaken out uh, when it comes to these seats over the last couple of days as we get ready for uh, what I like to call the America GP uh, as we get ready for Austin at the Circuit of the Americas. Any any like breaking news of stuff that needs to happen inside the world of F1 that we may have missed? Anything that has to do with the cost cap stuff? Do we know how much or how little, I guess, is really what it's going to be that Red Bull is going to be penalized? Man, so much news this week. Uh, it is, it's coming fast and, and frequent. So on the cost cap side of things, uh, came out today that the FIA and Red Bull have are reaching an agreement on their breach. Basically, they've uh, accepted the breach or like they've signed in a, a breach agreement, which Red Bull is basically putting in paper, yeah, we breached. We admit we breached the cost cap. Uh, but there's no word yet on what the penalty is going to be. There is a uh, a press conference scheduled for tomorrow, a Red Bull press conference, where uh, people are speculating Christian Horner is going to be addressing all of this, but unlikely that the FIA has will have kind of reached their final decision on the on what the penalties are going to be. I think this weekend. So um, it's probably going to be another week or two before we know what the penalties are. And I mean, everybody, but uh, not least of which Toto Wolf and, and Benotto are waiting to hear what that's going to be. And everyone, all the other drivers and uh, team principals continue to kind of say, look, if, if this is a slap on the hand, then we shouldn't even have done the, the cost cap in the first place because you can't just, you know, break it and then, you know, walk away without losing points or a championship. So we'll see. It's going to get spicy. Uh, will it though? Because you and I were talking about this off the air here, and I was like, "There, I'll tell you what. What this sport doesn't need right now 
during like a critical time of growth, maybe the most explosive growth, at least uh, in the last few decades of this sport. Like they, they haven't seen growth like this. They cannot afford to have like some lame controversy that the, I, I'll, I mean, the lay person like myself who looks at it and goes, come on, man. Like <laughs> we come from a, a world of sports where if you spend an extra couple million dollars, it does not mean a thing. And it's, uh, you know, in an era too where we almost laud some of the the cheating the actual cheating that goes on this to me like does it really it, i know that mercedes pitches it like oh this is going to give them extra you know this th- this could be an extra set of upgrades that would have actually given us the world championship it's like no no way and the last thing the sport needs is controversy like this which is also tough too because then you put them in this position is it are they going to come back harsher next year and then everybody's going to go hey Red Bull got like a barely a slap on the hand. We almost congratulated them to the championship. Yeah, it's like, you know, watching a football game, it's always the second guy that gets the the unnecessary yes. roughness penalty, right? So it's like Red Bull might get a slap on the hand, but if then Mercedes comes back and really breaches it the next year, maybe, you know, the FIA has to, you know, bring in an even harder punishment. So I if if I think you're right, I think that the FIA doesn't want a big controversy on their hands, like taking away Max's championship. No, <laughs> and so what you'll have is the other drivers and teams complain about it during the off season, and then it'll probably die out. Uh, I, think. I was looking at, I was trying to figure out uh, what these announcements were going to be for all these teams, and it turns out that the uh, Haas F1 announcement was just that they have a new title sponsor. Yay! Right? Is mm, that, or what yeah. else are we expecting from them? A letdown. Right. We were supposed to have something a little bit bigger. Although Williams rolls in today and says that they're going to have a uh, an announcement on Saturday regarding that second seat at, at Williams. What do we know about that? And w- what's going to happen, do you think, uh, on that side of things? Yeah. Um, I really hope it's Logan Sargent. So he is going to be um, driving an FP1 tomorrow. So this is the American driver. He's 21. He's running his uh, – first real full season in F2. Right. So you'd think that like, if he has a, you know, hopefully has a really good showing, doesn't like wreck the car in FP1. And then the next day they're like, um, Hey, Logan's going to be our driver. I think, you know, Williams is private equity owned. So they have a very, you know, they're business minded uh, management team that is looking at the opportunity of having an American driver in the sport. And uh, Logan Sargent is a Williams like Academy driver. And he's currently uh, like in, fifth or something like that in the F2 points. He needs to finish in the top five. He's like nine points ahead going into the last race. So unless something catastrophic happens, he'll have enough super license points. But um, that's what I'm hoping that happens. And then there's all the other usual suspects kind of floating around. That could be options too, like um, Giovinazzi, uh, Hulkenberg, Daniel Ricardo still, I suppose, or Mick Schumacher if he doesn't go back to Haas. Uh, what exactly – I mean – it's a wild thing, like the whole, you know, the, the the carousel of seats that ends up happening in F1 because, you know, in other sports we go, is that the best, is this the best player like available? Like you draft the guy mm-hmm. who is like the best player. And, it, it, and in this case, Logan Sargent isn't probably even the top American prospect when it comes to being, a, you know, next in line for like a legitimate seat in F1. And so uh, where does he land in terms of like talent level is it just that move that is a a uh, a commercial move? Are we going to see the next Latifi uh, backmarking situation at Williams, or what? What do we have here? Yeah, um, you know, when you assess drivers, um, I think can't remember who put it uh, this way recently, 
but like you're looking at a level of experience. Obviously, you want somebody experienced, but you also want somebody young who has a you know future ahead of them. Um, and I think in the in overall talent and speed, right? So when you look at Logan, he's got youth, and he's been pretty fast in what he's done so far. But he's got that like fourth element, which is the commercial aspect that uh, probably you know is what has brought him uh, up you know, the list in the conversation. And so I expect he'd come in and probably have a, a slow backmarker year just because he's new. And then they'd, they'd probably give him a leash for another year to see how well he could keep up with Alex. Well, he's new and he's in a Williams. So there's the, there's that also. Yeah. Is it'll that all mean, be relative. Is to that mean Al- of me? Or? Albon, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. They'll, <laughs> they'll always, they'll always kind of put it. And, 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 and Albon is, he's overperformed, right? I mean that for the car, I think. Yeah. Yeah, and I was going to say, shout out to Williams for a really cool uh, U.S.-themed livery yes. this weekend. I think their car their car looks sweet this weekend. And Haas kind of threw some stars and stripes on theirs last Boring. second, it felt like. But, like, the Williams car looks really cool. The Haas car still looks more Russian than it does American. <laughs> that's the, that's yeah. the sad truth yeah. of it. And you know what? And it's going to have a whole new look next season. Yeah, too little too late, for real, if you start to, like, uh, it's like when you used to have your Pinewood Derby car made up and then you like try to add some last minute things to win some dumb award no it's not gonna happen buddy you're gonna lose that thing uh so all all this weekend though all the things that are surrounding f1 and all the you know i saw hamilton was saying well we might as well just not even have a cost cap if we're gonna just give people a slap on the wrist i love how one of the big pieces of news that comes out is how amazing these new digital uh ads that are going to be on cars uh (laughs) like you talk about something that does not interest a I think it's funny because they'll roll a, roll this out and be like, look at this amazing technology. And you're just like, all you've told us is how you guys are going to make a, a kajillion more dollars off of the rest of us when you have some like, uh, I don't yeah. know. I mean, I, I think it's like a changing billboard, essentially, like a small digital billboard on uh, on these cars as they drive around. So yeah. kudos to McLaren for yeah. uh, squeezing every dollar out of their <laughs> sponsorships. Yeah, yeah, cool technology, but uh, yeah, really the only people that are happy about this are the partnership leads at each of these teams. So um, it, it's cool. I think they also tested some, something in uh, preseason testing around like LEDs on the wheel covers, um, and they eventually scrapped the idea because it was just causing too much like variability in, in the wheel balance. But uh, F1 is definitely creative with uh, how can you fit more sponsors onto these cars. I don't know how much these teams care about what the teammate says about these guys who are, you know, uh, you know, in these in these seats. Speaking of uh, going back to to Mick Schumacher and how I think how ridiculous mm-hmm. it would be if he's not in the sport. Uh, it makes no sense because I think about guys who are coming in and how little experience they have or how little promise that some of them even have. Like, I don't know. We just have to hold our breath and see. But. Uh, Kevin Magnuson actually said in a in an article I was reading this week about his teammate that uh, he says, "Look, I have I've had no influence on who drives next to me, but for what it's worth, Mick has improved and uh, over this la- over this year for sure, and it's been super hard to beat him of late, and he deserves a place on this grid." Is there really a world where Mick Schumacher loses his seat in F one and and we can like feel okay about it? Like it just seems so wrong. Yeah, we'll all be scratching our heads and hoping for another team to pick him up, you know, the following year. So I think that if I were a betting man, Mick will be in the seat for next year. 
I don't know why Haas has waited so long. Maybe it was related to the sponsorship deal, knowing they needed to get a new sponsor and that right. they've had sponsors in the past dictate who was going to be in the seat. And so they said, well, you know, we might, we might need to keep that spot open in case somebody comes in and says, I need my son in there. <laughs> but <laughs> I that, need my kid in there. <laughs> that's not the case with, uh, with this MoneyGram company. They said in the press conference, like, look, we are going to have no bearing on who the driver is. It's totally up to uh, Gunter, like in Gunter we trust. And so that might be what they were waiting for. And then now they're like, okay, we're going to sign Mick if Daniel Ricardo isn't interested. Uh, what is this track set up like? Before we get a deep dive into, and and Dan's been doing his homework on, on on the suspensions that have changed kind of the way that some of these teams have, or at least some of the, uh, how these teams have, really it's made or, or broken some of these seasons for these teams. When you talk about the porpoising, when you talk about what Red Bull is doing when it comes to a dynamic suspension that everybody's just kind of trying to figure out exactly what they're doing. But it's really led to them being, you know, on the foot on the on the doorstep, and and really, it's it's their they're going to win this constructors' title. And so Dan's done a ton of homework on this thing. And before we get into that, I want to know what the U.S. GP what what the what the circuit of the Americas is set up like. Who does it favor? What kind of a track is it compared to the ones we've seen of late? You you think about how different these races were over the last little while. Suzuka very different from Singapore and. Uh, you know where where does the U.S. GP land on that? How, how much do the drivers love or hate the Circuit of the Americas? Yeah, the Circuit of the Americas is obviously a relatively new track. So, the, and um, there aren't a, a lot of other series that run on, especially that these guys would have had experience in. And so, it, it's really like a lot of people just learning it in the simulator, and then the only track time they ever get on that track is for the F1 sessions. And so it's a medium to high downforce track. Uh, so it's got a mix of slow speed corners, medium speed corners, and a couple high speed corners. And so um, it's going to favor whoever can um, get the most out uh, of their car in terms of downforce with minimizing drag, like, like every track. But um, I would say it's like a Suzuka with more slow speed corners. So you'll see um, some teams will bring the you know similar uh, rear wings and aero setups that they had in Suzuka. Some uh, I've seen have brought some new ones. I think uh, Mercedes has a really interesting wing upgrade this week that I saw a photo come across Twitter with like these like almost like weather vanes on the front very front wing leading edge. So we'll see what all that's about. But um, a few improvements coming. But I think it's going to um, you know favor red bull like most every other track has this year uh because it's a it's a, all about trade-offs um it's not a very like low downforce or very high downforce track that might favor some of these other teams who have gone all all in on one side of the of the equation uh so yeah i i'm predicting red bull to be very fast like usual not going to be touched probably for the rest of the season in terms of like, you know, pace and things like that. So what are teams actually, what are they going to try to accomplish over these next uh, last few races of the season as, as we look forward to the rest of this thing? Everybody knows it's already locked up. Uh, you know, your world champion's already there and then your constructor's title is all but wrapped up. And so what are these teams, they all have different goals at this point. When you have uh, these few races left and you have a dominant team, it kind of ends up like this. And so who interests you from a level of like, okay, this thing is going to catch my attention over the next few races of what this team can do or, you know, or cause goals at this point, I feel like are a little bit all over the place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, everyone is looking at the last few races as test sessions, right? Um, track getting actual on track time in the F1 car is very limited. And so 
if if you're in a spot where um, you can safely guard your position in the constructor standings, then you're likely taking a bit more risk with trying new parts out. Um, if you're in a tight battle like Alpine and McLaren, then maybe you're a bit more conservative and trying to run your best stuff. Um, so, you know, value to whoever can uh, uh, kind of distance themselves in from the person behind them in the points. And you'll just see uh, people taking uh, a bit more risks on the setup side. And so I think that makes the free practices more interesting because they're going to be learning a lot. Uh, and hopefully, you know, a, a success I think is looked as uh, looked at as finding one or two uh, definite wins in the last few uh, races to implement into, you know, your design for the next year. Looking uh, forward to the rest of these races of the season, which one, like, do you go? That one is one that we're looking forward to. That's the track that I love. I know that there's – I think Brazil's the last sprint race of the season, too. Is that Does that bring enough interest to you, or is it just like, hey, Abu Dhabi's a night circuit. It's got those lights on. What interests you in these last few races? I like Brazil. I've always liked Brazil. I feel like that it – you know, there's um, always – it seems to always be an exciting race to me. Like, sometimes the rain, you know, plays a factor – it's a, it's a fast but short track, and I love short tracks because it just condenses the field a bit more. Um, so I like Brazil. I like Abu Dhabi as a night race, too, and obviously good, you know, exciting memories from last year. And I think there's going to be, you know, track changes to the Abu Dhabi layout and um, DRS changes from last year that should make the racing even better. So I, I look at those two and um, probably with the most in, the level of anticipation. All right, so since you've busted out all the homework, you've done all the uh, you've done all mm-hmm. the legwork on this thing uh, from an engineering side, uh, so that someone like me can understand Dan, and which is, means you got to maybe dumb it down <laughs> even more than what you'd prepared. Uh, help me understand. Right. Help, help me understand what Red Bull has done this year. I, I think it is fascinating that these teams are given a spec sheet on what you have to follow. Here are the regulations. Here what you ha- here's what you have to do, and one that they all come out kind of looking. The same, you know, you kind of go, okay, this, this looks pretty close. And then you have a, a, a variety of kind of spying on teams and back and forth. But, but F1 has been like this, where you have a team who the engineers crack a code that the other teams haven't figured out. And in some cases, I remember, I think when Williams had their, their active suspension that they came up with in the 80s, they were getting a second and a half a lap on teams in some of these races because of what they had developed mm-hmm. as this technology and while it might be bad racing for for that moment, it it levels a it, it makes the sport more exciting once everybody can kind of figure it out. It seems like Red Bull, though not to that extent, has figured something out with this year's regulations. Why have they been so different on the suspension side of things and, and their aero side of things that have made them, you know, the uh, the go to probable constructors champions? Yeah, so. The big change this year in the cars, which we talked about on uh, previous podcasts, was the change to the, the, what they call the ground effect car. So these cars are now really level with the ground and very close to it. And then the, the wings and the and the, rear, the front rear wings are are a bit different. There's no front barge board. So like there's just a different, a total different approach to the arrow on the car this year. And what uh, I found through you know the research is that Red Bull. They, they did something starting in like the Sebastian Vettel era with suspension where they had what's called like a push rod suspension up front and a pull rod in the back. And it's really hard to, you know, describe this, you know, just kind of over a podcast, but you can just think about what's a push rod, what's a pull rod. It's how the, it's the, the rod is what is connected and connecting that front or rear wheel assembly 
to the springs and dampers inside of the car. So like an arc, you know, road going cars, you pull the wheel off and you see a shock and a, you know, uh, a spring right there. And with these open wheel cars, you just see the wheels and then a bunch of rods going into the car and you're not seeing any springs or shocks uh, outboard. And so it's all packaged really tightly inside of the car and how you position the placement of all those rods can have a really big effect on the forces that the car um, kind of exhibits onto the tire. So uh, Red Bull pioneered this kind of um, way to do front and back suspension starting in 2009 that has like become the norm in F1 through 2021. And then in 2022, Red Bull came and like flipped the script. They're like, okay, we're going to go pull rod up front, push rod out back. And some of the reasons why they did that is for like packaging. It's a very tight space to fit a lot of really intricate components. Um, and the smaller you can make it, the more space you leave for aero. So a uh, big diffuser in the rear of the car, that's that like the part where the air comes out from underneath the car and gets sucked up, uh, creates a ton of downforce. Mm-hmm. Like, Hey, you got to make room for a diffuser. Okay. We got to change the way our suspension is designed in the back to make it smaller. And so, um, another thing that it uh, affects is what's called um, like different forces that get uh, acted on the tire by the kind of movement momentum of the car. One of them is called anti-dive. And so basically when you go to brake, you can think of anti-dive as like the force that resists your nose, like diving into the ground when you slam on the brakes. Um, and when you do have more anti-dive, then like that keeps that car planted at that angle of attack that you maximize your downforce. And so um, Adrian Newey, who we talked about on the last episode, who's kind of at the center of this cost cap controversy um, based on how Red Bull is accounting for his salary, which is uh, really interesting. Adrian Newey is kind of the mastermind behind all of the aero and car design. And he, you know, he pioneered what was this had become the standard. And now he's just was like, all right, I'm going to do it backwards now. And Instead of having a bunch of rake in the car, we're going to keep it super flat. Um, And so that, I think, is at the core of what's different this year that has given Red Bull an advantage and something that they're doing differently. And then beyond that, like, uh, you know, different, um, all sorts of different aero uh, things that are happening uh, around the side of the car and in the back of the car that they've just been iterating over the year. And what's, I think, interesting about Red Bull is that they weren't the fastest car at the start of the year. Ferrari was clearly the fastest car for the first, you know, four races and Red Bull just keep kept bringing small improvement after small improvement until back half of the season, they're just dominating, right? Six or seven, I've lost count how many wins in a row Red Bull has had. Um, so it's, if you get nerdy on this and you want to have like, you know, you want to learn more, there are just, you know, lots of sites out there and I can, I can tweet some of my favorite references about like little drawings of like, Oh, look at this little cut that they have in like (laughs) the back, you know, corner of the car. And you're like, you know, that's probably doing this and just tons of speculation. And all the teams do this. They take pictures of everybody else's, uh, everyone else's car each week and then go back and are like, okay, why are they doing that? And uh, you know, running, running it through the, the CFD model and saying, Oh, okay, that that's why they're doing it. And maybe we'll try it. So I think that what, Red Bull has designed for this year has given them a lasting advantage. Um, I I don't know how long it takes before the rest of the um, the field catches up. I could see Mercedes, you know, once they see the new Red Bull car this year, seeing like, oh man, they they've totally flipped the script on the suspension design, being like, we can't do that until next year. That's that's too much development cost and time. 
to to change that before the end of this year. So that's going to be a 2023 thing. So it'll be interesting to see how many people copy that approach next year. Uh, does it actually, I mean, did it take a year like this and then everybody really will be closer next year? Or is there the possibility of, uh, you know, another team cracking a code, so to speak, and, and, and putting themselves at the front of the grid? Or is it going to be, are the regulations to the point now where it's like, okay, now we know exactly what you cannot, can and can't do. And by this time, teams are going to be kind of, for lack of a better term, I guess, just copying off of Red Bull, at least some version of what they're trying to do. Is it going to be at least, what I'm saying is, is it going to be a close uh, championship race next year? I expect it to be a lot closer than this year. I think just with so many things that changed, it's you're more likely to get one person who figures it out quicker than everybody else. But like you said, I think the other teams will catch up, especially on like suspension and arrow. And then, you know, power, maybe there's, you know, still advantages there with, um, you know, some of the, the different power plants. But uh, I expect uh, and definitely hope for a much more competitive uh, season next year. Uh, Dan, breaking down the suspension and the way that Red Bull has basically uh, stolen this year's constructors uh, title. Obviously, they cheated, too, because they had like they were using way more expensive stuff and they were able to have those upgrades. And obviously, that's how they won. Uh, I mean, everybody, everybody, I mean, the catered lunches that they had were so <laughs> great last year that they were just primed and ready to make a great suspension design speaking like of, all those chicken wings speaking i know speaking of overspending <laughs> i was reading today that the uh that the uh, the las vegas grand prix for next year they're they're planning on building a three hundred thousand square foot paddock for uh these teams which to put it in perspective i think that you know and paddocks varied and vary in different sizes mm-hmm. but it will be the largest by a factor of uh, one and a half, basically, uh, over the largest paddocks across uh, F1. And so you think Las Vegas is going to go big, and then they really outdo themselves. And so it's going to be one. Again, I'm just basically putting all this stuff in your ear for when we expense this trip (laughs) uh, to go to Vegas next year to to see this Grand Prix. Yeah, 300,000 square feet. I mean, they're going to have to plow over a few old casinos and strip clubs (laughs) to make room for it. That's that's a that's a pretty big paddock, or just build around them, and so that that's actually part of the yeah. paddock as well. <laughs> you have those We're all part of the experience. Casinos and strip clubs in the very middle, of the old circus circus in the very middle of the uh, <laughs> yeah. of the paddock. Well, uh, looking forward to this weekend with the U.S. Grand Prix, uh, Red Bull, the obvious favorite, basically at the rest of the races for the rest of the year. Uh, give me your odds that uh, that Checo is going to be either in first or second position this weekend. Can he beat Max? And uh, and even if he doesn't, can he be second in front of Charles? Uh, I think those are good odds. I'd, I'd give those uh, four to one odds, maybe. That's, uh, he's quick right now. And I think that, uh, that you know, Checo's uh, on a bit of a roll. So, yeah, I, I like it. I definitely think he, he finishes on the podium. Aside from American... Uh, you know, American car companies uh, who could get in on the on the F1 thing. We've talked about how we wish that there'd be works teams from Ford or GM uh, in the future. And maybe that's, there's, there's an appetite for that. Maybe there's a place for them as well. But if it's not, uh, we saw Audi's going to enter the, the fray in 2026. Mm-hmm. The uh, Red Bull Porsche talks collapsed back in September. And so we're not at least going to see that for a little bit. Uh, this, a, a an automotive maker that should get into F one that is not taking advantage of the fact that this is a beyond a growing sport, especially in the U S. 
yeah, interesting you bring this up because there was uh, an article that came out today that said that the Porsche talks are not dead, that they're still talking Ooh. with the FIA. So let's, you know, maybe hold out hope for a Porsche uh, factory team. Uh, it that would be, be cool. It would immediately be my favorite team. It would be... Uh, yeah. Porsche oh, yeah. for me would be like, well, I don't know who your loyalties lie with anymore, Dan. You're all over the place. You've got two. You're, <laughs> you're married to two teams, and I don't understand you. I know, I know. I'm indecisive. <laughs> but it sounds like you're. It sounds like you're going to be a, a Mercedes man next year, a Mercedes AMG guy next year going yeah. forward. I feel like you have to commit because you you drive yeah. the product. <laughs> I'm committing. I'm committing. You're going to do it, and you know what that means? Like, who else? I I. <laughs> I, you know, that? What that means for me is, is that then I have to start working on my wife about, well, Dan has a, Dan has a tie to Mercedes. He loves oh, him yes. so much. He drives a Mercedes. I think we should get into the Porsche game, sweetheart. Don't you think that's, that's your, right? I, I, yeah. I'm all I for it. A, a Tycon GTS would look great <laughs> on you. I mean, look, all the, uh, it seems like yeah. all the Volkswagen families getting involved. If Audi and Porsche are going to do it, you might as well have a Volkswagen right. team as well. That's right. Yeah, other, I mean, first kind of came to mind is would there be any other Japanese um, uh, manufacturers or Asian manufacturers that would want to get well, in, look, into it? I think mean, about the Korean uh, I mean, autom- automotive manufacturers that have popped up. You think about Hyundai and and you think about, uh, you know, Kia. These are companies that are like yeah. basically building more cars than anybody else on the planet right now. And if you want to put your name at the yeah. top of lists of like, you know, if you're trying, because th- those both have, I think those both have luxury brands associated with them, or at least uh, Hyundai yeah. does with Genesis. And so yeah. maybe Hyundai has the Genesis, right? Yeah. So maybe they, maybe they look at it and they go, Hey, look, if we can be those top names, if we can put ourselves in there, why not have a, a constructor out of Korea since the, the, the car manufacturers over there blown up? Yeah. Hyundai, I think would be, um, I'd love to see them. They'd seem to be like a, a, a bunch of like Cowboys and Mavericks over there. They've put out some really cool designs and taken some big bets uh, on different cars. And I could see them going all in on F1 as, as part of their growth plan. That would be cool. I'd like that. I mean, you got Honda kind of back with Red Bull a bit. Uh, who knows how, how long that lasts, but I, I, I think a, an Asian manufacturer would be great. Uh, what about, I mean, we've seen, uh, I mean, could Fiat get in the game? <laughs> I'm starting to think yeah. of like, uh, let me see here. Yeah. Uh, Mini. <laughs> get Mini involved in this thing. You could have, I think that at some point, all those companies have probably had some logo on top of some car somewhere. And so uh, they've all wanted to be a part of it. But yeah, I think it's going to get more uh, competitive. And if there's a, like you said, if there's a Maverick or if there's a, uh, you know, some CEO who's got this massive ego, and you know that that's the case for all of these CEOs of all these big companies. If they have a little bit of a race, uh, you know, spark in them, then that might be something that pushes them. But uh, I would love to see a Ford team. I would love to see a GM team. And it would probably just take a, a handful of years for them to be able to get in on this thing and, and, and start winning again. I think Audi predicted that in the first two or three years of them getting in was when they, when they predicted they're going to start winning races. So, as soon as 28 it's or aggressive. 29, Dan, uh, that's as, we could start seeing some Audi wins in the next seven or eight years. It's very exciting yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Toyota, they were in the, the sport for a while. Yes. And uh, I remember growing up watching like Yarno Truly and Ralph Schumacher running in the Toyotas. And I um, mean, they're a huge company. They've got Toyota racing development, like the TRD brand for their cars yeah. that would, um, I think, do well. So maybe, you know, I don't, I don't understand what as big as Toyota is why they're not in the do sport. Do like uh, do what Alpine does. I mean, it's it's basically it's Peugeot 
but um mm-hmm. you know it, it would be like uh i don't know having like the supra brand of uh <laughs> of, it's not really toyota because yeah. maybe that doesn't sound as cool but nissan could, <laughs> nissan could get involved the infinity team although you've seen infinity logos on uh you know on those old world red championship bulls, yeah. uh, red bulls so yeah yeah all these yeah. all these guys want a piece of it so all right, Dan. We're looking excited. We're looking uh, forward to the next couple of days of uh, practices and qualifying, and uh, the America GP that's happening this Sunday, and uh, and at a normal time to where we don't have to, you know, time crunch. It will be competing oh. with NFL in my <laughs> house, and so uh, we'll have to split screens. Darn it! I don't know how we're going to be able to pull it off, but somehow we'll be able to watch all the sports that we want this weekend. Yeah, yeah, no early wake up call. God bless America. I'm, I'm, I'm excited for it. <laughs> the, the amount of the amount of bad foreign like, hey, we're gonna wear cowboy hats because we're in Austin and we're in Texas. <laughs> it's so bad. I just posted one in our Daniel Ricardo. Yeah, Daniel Ricardo was on a horse. <laughs> he rode a horse. The, uh, going, he and then, yeah, he couldn't yeah. look more uncomfortable <laughs> either. He couldn't have looked more uncomfortable. I posted in our Twitter group uh, as well. The picture of the two Ferrari guys wearing their stupid sheriff's hats and their dumb cowboy boots. They couldn't look more off brand of anything. And it's just such, I know, I don't know if they do it on purpose, but it looks really, really dumb. Uh, but yeah, hey, yeah, you got to think their, their PR teams are putting up, putting them up to it. And then, uh, in the Ferrari thread, the, uh, Mattia Benotto went to a Spurs game last night and the photo of him at the Spurs game sitting on the second row, like he could not be more bored. I I know. And look, I know the Spurs aren't supposed to be good this year, but Ferrari, you don't have to act like you, you did, you barely wanted to be there. Uh, Benotto. I mean, come on. He's had his, he was front row with his arms crossed. Like hating the experience. And like a scarf, yes. you, know, his, you know, fully, fully scarfed, fully Italian, <laughs> scarfed indoors uh, at an NBA espresso game. in one hand. There you yeah. go. All right, Dan, uh, we're going to jump out again. We've got more additions. Uh, we're going to break this thing down on uh, on Sunday because I know that we're going to try to make sure that we get this thing. You can download the podcast. You can find it wherever podcasts are found. For Dan Jimenez. Alex Curie, it's the Mode Push Podcast. We'll be back again on Sunday to get your full race breakdown of the American GP at the Circuit of the Americas. Dan, thanks for hanging out, bro. Thank you. All right, we'll be back again on Sunday. We'll see you then, everybody.